millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, European football expert Kevin Hatchard and TalkSport's Alex Crook as the season begins. Giovanni Lo Celso has scored for Tottenham Hotspur who lead against Manchester City and are heading to the top of the Premier League. Pep Guardiola's worst ever start to a season. Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. All the talk will be about Liverpool and how poor they were. Morris across the face of goal and Sterling tucks it home. That is another majestic goal from Manchester City. This is how you go top of the Premier League. A look at the Community Shield to come which is live on Talk Sports Network this weekend and a preview of who we expect to be the winners and losers in the Premier League this campaign. All that and so much more delivered with the authority of Arsenal playing out from the back. From Talk Sport, it's the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Yes, we are back like a warm, cosy Tom Daly hand crochet Team GB blanket, providing comfort as you embark on the seasonal journey of hope and expectation, all for it to be hacked up and dashed after about six weeks as we realise that Manchester City will run away with it again. Uh, Hello uh, to Kevin Hatchard. Who is here? How are you? You're right. I'm very well, and I'm delighted. And my wife will be delighted that you made a distinction between crochet and knitting. I didn't realise she's a big crocheter, my wife. Right. And I didn't realise that there was a big divide between knitters and crocheters. So it's it's good that you've got that spot on. Yeah, it's like you know the Crips and the Bloods or West Side Story, whatever you want to, you know, whatever parallel you want to draw. So I'm glad you got that right. They're deadly with those needles. (laughs) And. and, and the genie Vinaldum of the group, he never feels loved enough, but he'll go anywhere for a little bit more. Dosh, it's Talk Sports, Alex Crook. <laughs> That's actually a very good comparison. Hello, good to be back. Although in some ways, it feels like we've never really been away, doesn't it? Well, I'm pleased the football is back. I've not really watched the Olympics, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, I feel that that's a sacrilegious thing to say because everybody loves the Olympics and it's a massive, massive thing, especially in the States. Uh, I know as a sports fan, I should should just get into it, but I just haven't been able to. Maybe it's the time difference. Uh, maybe it's because there's been so much else to occupy us, the Euros, the fallouts of the transfers, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe I've just been watching too much cricket. But I am delighted the Premier League is just around the corner. Are you excited for the return of the domestic season, Kevin? Absolutely. I think it's going to be tremendous. I think you look at the quality, certainly at the top of the league, and we could have a really good title race. Obviously, it was a bit of a procession last season, and that's not what we want to see. But there's pressure on Manchester United to deliver a title challenge. There's no question about that. City are looking to 
enhance what is already a very, very strong squad. Liverpool have got Virgil van Dijk back, and that's absolutely massive for them. And they'll hope that the front three is suitably refreshed. So I think it's going to be really, really exciting. And then you've got Chelsea, who I actually think can go on and win the whole thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't get too excited, Kevin. Don't (laughs) peek too early. Uh, Crookie, what, uh, what are you looking forward to most? I was quite excited about Manchester United until Manchester City started spending £100 million on Jack Grealish and are going to try and spend £100 million on on Harry Kane. I think those two acquisitions will prove to be very ominous for the rest of the division. This was already a side who, as Kevin said, cantered to the title last season. Very difficult to see how they don't do that again with those two new arrivals. The season has started, the football is back, and it's live on Talk Sport. And in goes Gundogan, and there's the second goal for Manchester City. What a goal, and what a finish from John Stones, the centre-half. Now Foden makes a run, and he's clipped it past the goalkeeper, and in for a delicious third goal for Manchester City. There's the full-time whistle, it means Manchester City are Premier League champions for the third time in four years. All of us, we have to refresh our mind, our bodies, our desires, our fires to, you know, to continue to, to be competitive in all, in all the competitions we have. And that's the lead in the FA Cup final and it's Yuri Tulemans who scored the goal and Leicester are making the big boys blush again. Our aim is to be as competitive as we can and then we can get the squad back together fit and healthy and strong as we possibly can be and just keep looking to improve and, and that always has to be the ambition. Leicester City against Manchester City kicks us off and uh, the game is live on the TalkSport network. TalkSport 2 uh, from four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. We've got live commentary of the traditional curtain raiser, although I'm going to try when I'm doing the game uh, for ITV on Saturday not to use the word curtain raiser just because it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it, really? Uh, and it's not really a curtain raiser, is it? Because uh, Manchester City uh, with Pep Guardiola suggesting hinting maybe that he could name a second string side at Wembley. Leicester without maybe Schmeichel and Ward, who've only just got back from pre-season training, a little holiday. Johnny Evans hasn't trained properly. It's not going to be uh, a full-strength Manchester City against Leicester City 11, is it? I mean, it's going to be sort of almost a half-cock start to the season, isn't it, Kevin? It is, but I think this is an opportunity for Leicester to win another trophy. uh, And those opportunities don't come along very often for them. Obviously, they've had this extraordinary run uh, of success in the last few years. But I think it's important for them every time they face a top team to show up because psychologically for them, it's very important for them to believe they belong in this company. Because if you look at the last couple of seasons, they've been in the box seat in terms of the Champions League race and they've blown it in back-to-back seasons. So it's very, very important for them to maintain that momentum. I think they've made some brilliant signings. I really do. I think Pat Sandak is going to be great in the Premier League. Samare's just won a league and a title with Lille. So I do feel like it's a club still heading in the right direction and games like this can really underline that fact. I spent a bit of time uh, looking at some of their pre-season games and um, it looks to me as if the, the likely lineup will probably be Jakubovic in goal, Herrera, Fafana, Soyonchu, Bertrand, Ndidi, Sumare, Tielemans, Perez, possibly Barnes coming back a little bit earlier uh, than many people expected. And then Daka and Vardy 
um, up top or Daka or Vardy up top, depending on how he goes in terms of uh, formation. Um, you mentioned Pat Daka being a real threat for Leicester this season. You expect him to be a threat this season. Uh, how much of a role will Jamie Vardy play Alex Crook? Because he's getting to the autumn of his career, isn't he? Yeah, but he didn't show any signs of uh, easing up last season. I know the goals dried up in the second half of the season, but he showed a different facet to his game, often playing uh, playmaker at towards the end of the season. So, uh, listen, I think he'll still be hungry. I think you'll see the arrival of uh, Pats and Dakar uh, as, as a challenge to his jersey. And it's a challenge that Jamie Vardy has risen to time and again in his career. What I like about Leicester, and Kev touched on a couple of their signings there, Ryan Bertrand brings a lot of experience as well. They've got their business done early. You know, Brendan Rodgers clearly had a, a game plan as to what positions he wanted to shrink and obviously wanted somebody up there to lighten the load on, on Jamie Vardy. has bolstered the midfield as well. And I think they are genuine contenders again for a Champions League place. And that lineup that you've just read out there, maybe with the exception of the goalkeeper and Johnny Evans, I think will be the lineup that, that, that starts the new Premier League season. Madison is an interesting one with the, with the fact that Arsenal are trying to sign him. I think he's quite keen to go now. I'm not sure his relationship with Brendan Rodgers is quite as strong as it once was. And I think he won't be playing in that starting lineup either way, despite the fact they're not necessarily at full quota yet. Well, he didn't play at the weekend against Queen's Park Rangers, but that was because his partner had just given birth to their child. So he was on paternity leave, in effect. Um, whether or not he plays this weekend is is another matter. And I suppose if he doesn't play this weekend, Kevin, it will fuel the fire that is surrounding him in regards to an Arsenal transfer. Yeah, well, I thought what was quite interesting was that Brendan Rodgers talked about the transfer policy and he's been given assurances that they don't have to sell. Doesn't mean that they won't sell, but they're not in a position where they have to. And I think that's an important change for them as well, because there is just an assumption that, oh, it's Leicester. There are bigger clubs, bigger names that will take their players. But actually, it feels like Leicester are a bit more in control of things now. And they do feel a bit more like a destination for players. I mean, guys like Patsundaka, guys like Sumare, lots and lots of clubs wanted them all across Europe. And so for Leicester to get those guys in as early as they have, I think is a real statement of intent. Just on Vardy, by the way, the pace is obviously the main weapon. Doesn't seem as though that's declining, particularly no. at this stage. And yeah. on that basis, there's no reason why he can't be a massive threat still. Maybe been helped by the fact that he gave up international duty and wasn't travelling all over the place and not playing as many games possibly as maybe he would have done before. Um, look, no Castagna yet either. He's going to have a face mask footage before he could get back to full training, um, but he's expected to start the season. Real Madrid are interested in Fafana, although, as you've already mentioned, Brendan Rodgers has quite say, been quite forthright in the fact that he said that they don't have to sell players. What about Manchester City? They beat Blackpool on Tuesday night. So far, Pep has played almost sort of like um, a sort of hybrid team an experienced back line with a youthful front line. He's played the same back six in all three of their games against Barnsley, Preston and Blackpool. Stefan in goal, the goalkeeper from the USA, Cancelo, Diaz, Ake and Mendy have started at the back with Fernandinho in front of them. Mares has played quite a lot as well. And then they've relied heavily on three youngsters in particular, uh, Cole Palmer, uh, Sam Adozi, who's scored quite a few goals, and Ben Knight, who's been playing up front. He's not really a striker, but he's been playing that way. They've started all the pre-season games with that sort of combination of players. Do you think you're going to see that hybrid get, uh, formation on Saturday, Alex? Or is it too big a game to put some of those youngsters into? 
No, I think it's a fantastic experience because as much as it's a showpiece game at Wembley and, and, and Kevin has said it's a chance for Leicester to win a trophy, and it is, for clubs like Manchester City, basically it's a glorified friendly, isn't it? And, and they've also had a shorter break than anybody else, their players, because of course their season was extended because they're in the Champions League final. Virtually all of their first 11 were off playing international football in the summer. And I think Pep will be shrewd enough to know that he needs to reintegrate those guys gently. So I think it it will be a very mismatched Manchester City team. And as Kevin says, a fantastic opportunity uh, for Leicester to go up and collect the silver. I think what's great is um, is the fans. Um, it, it's going to be full to capacity. Yeah, the tickets on general sale now. So I'm hoping that it gets up that way. Um, but it'll be the biggest crowd since I think the Carabao Cup final of 2020. And, yeah, and that will give it an extra dimension yes. anyway. I mean, I was watching the, 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 pre- the pre-season friendly between Manchester United and Brentford. And when Pereira scored his sensational goal, the crowd absolutely erupted like it was the winner in a cup final. They're just delighted to be back. And I'm sure the atmosphere is going to be spine tingling at Wembley on Saturday. You're very lucky, Sam, to be part of that. Yeah, can't wait for it. Uh, it kicks off uh, late afternoon on Saturday, live on TalkSport 2. If you're wondering why it's on TalkSport 2, we've got the Lions deciding test on TalkSport at the same time. So, so much live sport to come, as there will be over the course of the season. The season that promises so much. Buckle up. It's going to be one hell of a ride. Edison has just played a fantastic pass down the field. The Grealish, Grealish holds it up, delivers the ball out wide. Looking for Mason Bound, who oh. controls the ball on the fight. Forward ball to Rashford, who'd found a little bit of space just outside the box. Now Salah on the edge of the penalty area, driven wide to the left. De Bruyne, he's galloped clear down the left side. Puts a crossing, looking for Vardy. Ball will break here, big chance. And Kane finishes with his right foot. And Harry Kane back in the side, back among the goals. This is the final day of the Premier League. Every moment of panic, every high, every low, every bead of sweat, every tear, every cheer will be right here on TalkSport. Benendinho lifts it to the skies. Manchester City, for the fifth time, have the Premier League. Well, let's start, shall we, with the title race uh, as we go through what we think might happen over the course of 2021-22. Who wins it? I mean, maybe the the debate is um, a moot one, really, if City end up getting hold of Harry Kane and and Jack Grealish and turn into a Premier League version of Bayern Munich. What's the latest on that, Crook? Well, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, just as the news has broken on TalkSport that Jack Grealish is on his way to Manchester to undergo a medical to sign a contract with Manchester City. City, as we understand it, have activated his £100 million buyout clause in his contract, which has been kept a bit under the radar, that buyout clause, but TalkSport understands that buyout clause does exist. Grealish, I think at one stage, was in two minds about whether to take the plunge. He didn't play a lot for England at the European Championship, didn't want to go to Manchester City and find himself in a similar position of being a bit part player. But he's had those reassurances now that, listen, they're spending £100 million. It's a British record. He isn't going to be on the bench, is he, Jack Grealish? And what a tremendous move for him. Kane. Well, million-dollar question, isn't it? Are we day three now? It's actually a $160 million question. (laughs) We're into day three now of him staying away from training. Seems to have taken a bit of a twist, that story. Uh, Duncan Wright, our colleague in The Sun, writing this morning that Harry Kane angered Tottenham by extending his summer holiday. Actually, he's in isolation now, uh, having returned to the UK. I think he will be back at the Tottenham training ground somewhere towards the end of this week. 
clearly there's difficult conversations to be had. I think the only way this ends now is Manchester City pay the £160 million that Daniel Levy wants. They've been pretty clear throughout they won't do that. Or Harry Kane has to issue a formal transfer request. Interesting. Um, Of course, by the fact that he's in isolation, we get a little bit of an insight into his medical history. He hasn't been double jabbed because he's coming back from an amber destination. I thought the reason he went to Miami was in order to ensure that he had, could sort of circumvent the uh, quarantine rules, but that hasn't hasn't happened, does it? Well spotted, Dr. Matterface. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, um, handing in a transfer request is never a sort of respectable thing to do. There's, if you speak to any agents, agents will tell you there's so, much, there's so many better ways of going about it. I mean, once you haven't turned up for training or your COVID test, or you've basically alienated the fan base by deciding that you're going to stay away, you might as well just throw in a transfer request. Yeah, and I think it's a real shame because he got himself into this situation in the sense that he signed a a long-term contract and received a huge amount of money to do that. But once you do sign a deal of that length and there isn't a release clause attached, then you put yourself in that position. And we can talk about gentlemen's agreements all we want. We can talk about whether it's right that he wants to move on because Tottenham aren't challenging for trophies. But if you sign that long-term deal with all of the financial rewards that come with it, you are in that position. And so my sympathy with him is near zero, quite frankly. And yes, he's a great player. Yes, he's been a great servant to Spurs and all of that. But if he was thinking strategically, which a lot of players do, and Kylian Mbappe's approaching the final year of his deal, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, Paul Pogba approaching the final year of his if he was thinking strategically and wanted a big move down the track, he really shouldn't have signed a long-term deal. Or if he was going to, it should have had a release clause attached. And and again, you know, I, I've mentioned this about Wilfred Zaha a few times. You know, whoever advised him to sign that contract at Crystal Palace, again, probably was a little bit naive. And the same with Harry Kane, you, you know. If you do sign those contracts, you're you're beholden to the person who you have the contract with. Even if you've got what you think is a gentleman's agreement... And by the way, maybe they did. Maybe they said to him, look, yeah, we'll let you go. If it's 100 million quid, we'll let you go because ultimately we know you're not going to stay forever if we're not winning trophies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all very well negotiating that and having that great chat two, three years ago when things are going well. But obviously when things have turned completely and the landscape is completely different, all of a sudden the financial needs of Tottenham have to come into Daniel Levy's mind, not just his loyalty and uh, to his word that he's given uh, to Harry Kane. Either way, I think if Manchester City end up signing both of those two players, the rest of the league is in trouble. The only area that I think City would have a weakness if they do get Harry Kane, because actually they're a little bit light up top if they don't get him, um, would be at left back, where no one has seemingly ever nailed that position down, Crook. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Kev will probably have some information on this, but they've not been linked with too many left backs this summer. Certainly Grealish and Harry Kane have always been their their top targets. Modern fullbacks are important as well to title winning teams. I mean, I, I like Zinchenko. As a player, I think he's probably a safer pair of hands than Mendy in that position. Obviously, you've got the option to switch Cancelo, but then you lose him down the right-hand side. Listen, they've got so many talented players. Nathan Ake can play left-back. He's done that in his career. So I'm not too worried for Pep Guardiola. Shall I I say that? (laughs) It's true. I I think it was quite interesting they were linked with Alex Grimaldo 
who's at Benfica and there's a feeling that they need to raise funds and, and could shift him on. I've always liked him. He's a very attack-minded fullback. He's technically gifted. He was a Barcelona at one stage. He's the kind of player that Pep likes. It, it, he doesn't want a situation where you've got somebody who can play that position at a push. The fullback is the position he places a lot of demands upon. Uh, and if they can't really play there, it's not going to work. So I like Zinchenko in that role. I think Pep likes him in terms of the fact that he can trust him tactically. Mendy, uh, I think, it, uh, is a little bit more up and down in that regard. Uh, and so I, I think he's only going to make a signing if it's somebody that, in terms of the technique, he can really trust. Uh, uh, Manchester City, your tips for the title, do you think? Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna, See, I they're, actually am leaning towards Chelsea. Okay, let's go. Say. Let's have a, let's have a look at them then, because they were fourth last season, European champions. They played well with a mixed team against Arsenal uh, over the weekend. They lacked a goal scorer last season. Timo Werner only got six league goals. His xG was five point nine goals higher than that. They have been linked heavily uh, with Romelu Lukaku for a hundred million pounds plus uh, Marcus Alonso. The first bid apparently uh, was rejected. His agent is Federico Pastorella, uh, who is very close uh, with Chelsea. He's had some dealings with them uh, in the past. Lukaku apparently believes he's got unfinished business at Stamford Bridge. He is a Chelsea fan. He grew up a Chelsea fan. There's lots of pictures of him when he was a, a, a young teenager, not the teenager that eventually came to Chelsea, a young teenager sort of trying to get uh, you know some merchandise from the shop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he seems to have had such a great spell in Italy. I wonder whether or not he would want to swap the crown that he's got, where he is the king of Italian football at the moment, to come back to the Premier League, where he hasn't always been appreciated. I think he's a bit Natalie Imbruglia, Sam. I think he's a bit torn, um, to be honest. Oh, there's because... one for the 90s, boys. <laughs> wow, I mean, that's a modern reference, if ever there was one. <laughs> um, because I think he feels loved. Someone's been listening it... to Capital Gold. He feels loved in Italy. He feels valued in Italy, which I don't think he necessarily did, um, certainly in that second season at Manchester United. When I actually thought he took a bit of unfair criticism. I think he scored a decent ratio of goals in a Jose Mourinho team that weren't exactly playing free-flowing football and not really playing to his strengths. I think he's improved his all-round game um, since going to, to Inter. I, I think the one thing that might swing it in Chelsea's favour is the fact that Antonio Conte is no longer his manager because we know about the relationship between those two. So I think that might just give Chelsea an in. And Kevin will tell us, Inter Milan are under financial pressure. Um, that they, they need to raise some funds and they need to raise them quickly. So Chelsea are going to keep pushing for this. It might go right to the final hours of the transfer window. It wouldn't surprise me if Romelu Lukaku did come back. And it's a bit of a sea change from Chelsea as well, isn't it? Because in the past, I think they've been a bit reluctant to re-sign players that they've let go. That was certainly an issue when Frank Lampard was trying to sign Declan Rice. Last summer, they had a buyback option on Nathan Ake. They chose not to take up as well. But this is one they are keen to do. And I think it also shows the dearth of top quality number nines available because it's basically well, it's Lukaku they couldn't get or Haaland. Yeah. That's basically the reason, isn't it? I mean, Haaland's not going to leave this summer and as a result of that, they obviously believe that, that he's got his eyes set somewhere else. They've, they've tested the water. I know that for a fact. So if they've tested the water, realised he's not going to go to Chelsea, they've got to turn their eyes somewhere else, Kevin. I think one thing to look at here with Lukaku is how the narrative has changed a little bit from Inter's point of view. The feeling was that he's untouchable. They don't want to let him go. They don't want to do a deal. They have raised funds with selling Ashraf Hakimi to Paris. So they've got a chunk of money there, but they do still need to raise funds elsewhere. 
the feeling is that they prefer to do a deal for Lautaro Martinez uh, and they're waiting for teams to come forward with a decent offer. There's been talk of 50 million euros. I think that's too low. I don't think that's worth them letting him go. Lukaku has always said he's happy where he is. I think that's true. I believe him. The only thing that will change it is if Chelsea come up with a package that's so tempting for Inter that they feel they can't refuse. And then it's about whether Lukaku says, "Okay, well, if you don't want me anymore, this is a move that's attractive to me. But I'm not sure he's pushing it. And I think they're just waiting to see just how high Chelsea will go to land him. I do think he's one of the world's best strikers. I do think he's improved immeasurably. I thought he was a great player before, but I think he's still made a great leap. I'm not sure about the Antonio Conte thing because he's spoken very, very uh, in glowing terms about Simone Inzaghi coming in and, and how he feels he could work with him. And they've had some conversations in that regard. So I think this will only change if Chelsea make a massive offer which I understand that they're going to do a second bid is about to go in. And apparently, I mean, there's been a few nudge, nudge, wink, winks from the Lukaku camp suggesting that, you know, it's a good idea to keep bidding because eventually he will come back. That's just what I've heard. We will see what happens in the fullness of time. Um, look, usually when Chelsea have a great season, they lack investment. Maybe a little bit of complacency takes over. When they won the Champions League last time, the boss who took them there was dismissed within three months. Um, when they won the double the next season, they ended up finishing second and, and sacking Carlo Ancelotti. Thomas Tuchel being in charge for the course of the whole campaign would be a good idea wouldn't it? Especially if they want to eclipse Manchester City, who they beat three times in six weeks at the end of the season. Can they do it at the end uh, over the course of a whole season? I suppose what they need is a little bit more solidity at the back. Um, and I say that knowing that they did very well defensively, but they did well very defensively because they played so pragmatically. What yeah. they need is a better defender alongside Thiago Silva or and, and another in order to be able to play a little bit more progressively going forward rather than heavily relying on passing teams to death and nicking the odd goal here and there. Well, they want Jules Kunde, don't they, from uh, Sevilla. He's their top defensive target. And again, I think they've been given some encouraging signs from that camp that he would be interested in the move, having turned down the chance to join Tottenham because they aren't in the Champions League. I think that would be an excellent signing. I think there's still a time to be pragmatic. I mean, it looks like Pep Guardiola is, is going to try and turn Manchester City back into the Harlem Globetrotters, but there are two ways to skin a cat. There are two ways to win a title. I think that's right. And I think the one thing he is, Thomas Tuchel, is he's someone who's prepared to adapt to the situation. And if he needs to make tactical tweaks, he will do. The way that he played when he first arrived at Chelsea with the three at the back and the structure that they used was born out of pragmatism because he thought, what is the easiest way to get this group together and get them to understand what I want? But he will have had more time now. He will have had more time to assess players. He'll have had more time to work out what he needs to do in different games. I still expect changes in terms of personnel from game to game. That's just how he rolls. And I would expect them to be a bit more tactically flexible going forward. But they have a great spine. They've got a great goalkeeper in Mendy. I think he's terrific. I think he's a calming presence. Uh, in goal for them. I think defensively, if they could get Kunde, that'd be massive. They've tracked him for a couple of years now and it feels like they're ready to, to do that deal. So I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen now. Midfield, I think, has a lovely balance to it. I know Timo Werner's had a lot of play, uh, people um, slagging him off and I understand why. 
But he is a tremendous player, I think. And and somebody who is always affecting the game, key assists in games. Yep. I, I do think he'll have a run this season where he scores lots of goals because if you look historically, that's what he does. He has runs where he's not scoring, runs where he is scoring. Tuchel will push him all the time. But one of the key players for me in the whole league is going to be Kai Havertz. And I said this when they signed him last season and he ended up scoring the winner in the Champions League final. I think he is a tremendous talent. He, he really is. And I think he's getting better all the time. It's a good game, that Champions League final, I thought. I thought they, they played really well in that game. That was a, a, a crookie style, I told you so, from uh, Kevin Hatchard. <laughs> it was a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was a little bit. I'm going to bang that Werner and Havertz drum uh, as long uh, as I can. I, I, listen, I, I, we can't wait for them to come, but Timo's going to be top scorer in the Premier League this season. Although I did say that last campaign, and where did that get me? Um, what about Liverpool? Because, um, I, I mean, I suppose there's a question mark over them. Did they get a little bit too giddy after winning the Premier League title? Were they unlucky uh, with injuries? Or did they actually just react poorly to adversity? Or was it a combination of all three? Because they finished 30 points off of where they were when they won the title the year before. Yeah, it was a, it was a pitiful defence of the title, but I think there were mitigating factors. And it's a cliche, but Virgil van Dijk will be like a new signing for them. He's so important uh, for that team, both in terms of his defensive capabilities, the fact he gives the players in front of him more freedom to roam and his leadership. So I think he's going to be a little to bit better than he was against Hertha Berlin in pre-season, though. <laughs> it's only pre-season. And, and listen, he's going to take a while to get up to, to Max Sharpness. Of course he is. But it would worry me. They've been quiet again um, in the transfer market. I, I still think letting Wijnaldum walk out the door potentially could be a mistake. There's a contract wrangle going on with... Jordan Henderson. I think there's also issues perhaps with extending contracts for Salah and Sadio Mane. They're not cash rich Liverpool. And I think it's very difficult for them to compete even with Manchester United. It was splashed big this summer. Interesting. Um, look, they use 20 different centre-back partnerships over the course of the season. That clearly is an issue. Uh, but Ibrahim Kanate has come in to play probably alongside uh, Virgil van Dijk because you can't rely on Joel Matip's uh, hamstring from one week to the next. Kevin, you would have seen a lot of uh, Kanate at uh, RB Leipzig. Um, what do you think of him? Is he going to fit in seamlessly? Tremendous player. Uh, very, very quick. Uh, tall, strong, good on the ball, wants to bring the ball out from the back, wants to go past players who are trying to press him. I think there are definitely areas where he can improve. I think his passing can improve. Uh, I think he can take fewer risks maybe sometimes when he is bringing the ball out from the back, but Jurgen Klopp will work with him on that. But the problem he's had recently is that he's had uh, an in a major injury that has caused him all kinds of problems. It doesn't mean he's injury prone. It doesn't mean he's not fit. It just means that he's had a bit of bad luck uh, with a major injury. So uh, I would expect him to be able to make a, a tangible impact on this Liverpool team. He should be challenging for a starting spot straight away. The transfer thing is interesting because a lot of Liverpool fans are getting very twitchy about the lack of business. The Wijnaldum thing, I think, has spooked a lot of people, but they only have so much money to play with. And I think they are using it to secure key players. So Trent signed a new deal. Fabinho signed a new deal. They're trying to get Salah and Mane over the line if they can. And they've got some tough decisions to make. And, and the, the Wijnaldum one was one of those. So, you know, Liverpool do not have 
the resources that Chelsea have, that Manchester City have, that is just something they have to deal with. And that's what they're going to have, why they're going to have to proceed very, very carefully, I think. But that squad's still great. And the starting 11 is as good as there is in the league. I think it can stack up with any of the starting 11s in that league, I believe. I was going to say, in a way, does that Canate signing really highlight the different approaches between Liverpool and those other big four challenges, the fact that Manchester United have got in Rafael Varane. I know he himself has had injury problems, but a proven winner, ready to go in the Premier League, doesn't need to improve and, and learn on the job as maybe Canate does. The fact Chelsea are going to go big for Jules Kunde, maybe that does just sum up the different approaches and, and the fact that financially Liverpool are struggling to compete with those clubs. Uh, you mentioned Manchester United, the comeback kings, uh, Rafael Varane and Jadon Sancho in the door. Um, they've added a little bit of quality, haven't they? But there's still midfield issues to solve, to be title contenders, I think. How do they deal with that? Because Paul Pogba's contract is coming to an end. They either sell him now, take, take a little bit of money for him and then try and spend elsewhere. They've been linked with Camavinga quite extensively. What, what would you think the approach should be? Crook as a dyed-in-the-wall, Salford-born, Manchester United season ticket-holding supporter. None of those things are true, by the way, apart from the fact that he's a supporter of Manchester United. I've been saying for a number of seasons now that Manchester United should cash in on Paul Pogba. I think he showed his quality um, at the Euros for France. Manchester United have only seen glimpses of that. You know, I can count the number of good games he's had, maybe on two hands now, but he hasn't made the impact that an £89 million player should. From what I'm told, his attitude in the in the dressing room is less than first class. I would be cashing in on him. And then Kamavinga, possibly. Kevin probably knows more about him than me. Declan Rice is, is the one for me. Sell Pogba. We know that West Ham have an interest in Jesse Lingard. Put some money down for Declan Rice. Chuck in Lingard as part of the package. I think that will be a transformative signing for Manchester United to make. Camavinga is going to be a big star. He's only 18 years of age. You can't put your hat on him at this stage, but in the future, he is going to be a megastar, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And he's a player that lots of clubs are excited about. Real Madrid have been on his case for a long, long time, and it wouldn't surprise me if he, that he eventually goes there. Um, they've been tracking him for a, for a couple of years. He, we've seen him play for France now uh, and look very good for France. Uh, he can he is a box to box player. He can break up play in midfield, but he can surge forward as well. Technically very gifted, and I think he's going to be one to watch over the next few years. But I think in terms of United in general, they have to deliver now because I thought the Europa League final was a complete and utter debacle from their point of view. You know, Villarreal are a good side. They're not a great side. And for United to fail to beat them in a showpiece final, I thought was a failure. And I think you look at the body of work now, there are a lot of people who support Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I understand why, but there's all this, we're building, the next couple of transfer windows are key. Uh, he's developing the young players. Yeah, lovely. But this is Manchester United. You have to win things. And they're not winning things. They're getting to semi-finals and finals, but they're not winning things. And now if you've got Jaden Sancho in the building, who's one of the most exciting young talents in Europe, if you've got a world-class centre-back in Rafa Varane in the building, you have to start winning things. And so for them to be 10 points, maybe 15 points behind Manchester City, that's not going to wash this season. Got to try and win it. Okay, this is interesting because uh, Crook's sitting there nodding away. Uh, basically, you are spouting music to his considerable ears. Um, he's beaten um, Pep. He's beaten Klopp in one-off games, Tuchu in one-off games, Ancelotti, Mourinho, many more as well. This season, as Kevin says, should be the season he puts something on the shelf. 
Nil-nil at Old Trafford, took the game to City, won at the Etihad. Is he given the credit he deserves, you think, Crook? I think he, he, he gets credit from a lot of Manchester United fans. I'm probably in a minority, but for me, and, and Kevin has highlighted it there, the games that he does win against Pep Guardiola and Klopp and, and Tuchel tend to be irrelevant and meaningless when it comes to the end of the season. The big games that he, ne- he really needs to win, the semi-finals and the finals, he's come up short. You know, There's no doubt about that. And it, to not beat Villarreal was an aberration, really. To, to get schooled in the way that he did by Unai Emery was, was unforgivable. And they do, in my eyes, they, they need to make a much better fist of challenges for that title. They're going to the change Glaze... the way they play slightly, aren't they? They're going to play this formation of 4-3-3 where they play, um, instead of playing Fred and McTominay, they want to play just one in there. Yeah. They think but because they've got Varane and Maguire together, that can give them added protection. So they, they want to be a bit more dynamic. And, and that forward-thinking approach surely uh, should be applauded. Well, that's good news for Donny van der Beek. I think um, we, we might see a, a lot more of him this season. And maybe that was part of the plan from Ollie all along, just to integrate him slowly into the Premier League. But yeah, Manchester United historically have played with a certain style, a certain swagger. And we have seen that with, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They are more entertaining now than they have been under any manager since Sir Alex left. But there are two things they really need to improve on for me. The home form was wretched last season with mm. fans back inside Old Trafford. They need to turn that place into a fortress and they can't afford the slow start to the season they had last year either. They well, have to hit the ground running. Mention that. It's not the first time that's happened because a good start has ham- hampered them over the last couple of seasons, hasn't it? You know, um, uh, lost to Palace on day one last campaign. It was a bit of a sticky, horrible performance. Actually, was that last season or the season before? I can't remember. Ultimately, um, it was it, it's something that's haunted them on a regular basis. I suppose the big question, Kevin, surrounding Manchester United away from the headline issue is who's going to be the goalkeeper? Yeah, that's a fair question because is Dean Henderson an elite goalkeeper? Is he ready to be a number one for Manchester United? But also you look at David De Gea and his form has dipped considerably. And I think all of the concerns that people in Spain have maybe about him as well uh, have maybe, you know, re-emerged. And so that is a big question mark. Because if you look at the top teams, Edison is elite for Manchester City, Allison as well. I think Mendy's made a tangible difference to Chelsea and United are probably the only genuine title contender in England that has that massive question over the goalkeeper. So I think that's something to watch going forward. Just one more from me on Solskjaer. I think if you look at the Champions League run last season... That, that was a big red flag for me because they had that incredible performance in Paris and you had to give him massive credit for the way tactically he got it spot on. So massive credit for that. They put themselves into a position where it was almost impossible to fail to qualify for the last 16 and somehow they managed it and they lost the last two games. So, you know, that is a big concern. And so all of the progress is fine. Now he's got to win things. We have already talked about Leicester City in our preview to the uh, Community Shield, so we won't go too heavy on them. But fifth last year, FA Cup winners, despite the fact that uh, they had an injury list longer than Wilfred and Dede's telescopic legs. Um, Yet they missed out on the Champions League twice in a row, and it feels a little bit almost uh, underwhelming uh, that they finished fifth and won the FA Cup. Although, I I must admit, it didn't feel like that to me on Cup final day. Um, Look, 36 weeks out of 38 in the top four. I think Brendan Rodgers is onto a good thing uh, there and then we've already mentioned the two signings that they've made which we think will make a difference other contenders for the top four well top six possibly Spurs and Arsenal who are eighth last season uh, no Europa League uh, for them no European football for them 
It's the second year in a row they finished eighth. Uh, they added Ben White, Nuno Tavares, Albert Sambi. Um, they've let Sebastian's uh, gone back. Gendizi has now gone for good. Um, they're keeping Jack, Granite Xhaka. They've offered him a new contract. Um, look, will the fact that they haven't got any European action actually give them a better chance of finishing in the European places, top four even maybe, because they've got no distractions? Possibly. Um, I'd like to know where Stan Kroenke has suddenly found all this cash from. £50 million pounds on Ben White, a, a big goal in this week for James Madison, £30 million, uh, it going in for Aaron Ramsdale at, at any point. They're, they're certainly backing Mikel Arteta. I think uh, Laconga is someone in midfield who will go on and become a, a genuinely very good player in the Premier League. I still think their Achilles heel is the manager. I'm still not sold on, on Mikel Arteta. It was a, a poor performance in that friendly game against Chelsea last weekend, bearing in mind that Chelsea put out a second string team. Third. I, um, I, I'm not sure that Arteta knows how to get the best out of Aubameyang. That was a big problem last season. If he, if he stopped scoring goals again, then you do wonder where those goals will come from. I think that's why they're interested in, in, in Tammy Abraham. I, I make him one of the favourites to be the first manager dismissed. Yeah, because I think they've got a really difficult opening game against Brentford. I could easily they, see them losing that game and the pressure is they, on straight away. They were woeful playing out from the back against Chelsea. Bearing in mind, they basically had their first team out. Um, they, 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 they're incredibly coached, aren't they? I mean, the, the idea of systems, patterns of play are really evident with them. One issue they have is they don't really seem to have the personnel to be able to do it on a regular basis with confidence, which invites pressure and leads them giving away so many chances. I think, you know, unless they get their act together, I mean, this is a, this is a pivotal period for them. Basically this season, he has to develop a style of play, which gets them back into contention towards the top end of the table. Otherwise, I mean, the experiment will be called to a halt. Uh, what about Spurs? They've got a new experiment as well, new manager. And after uh, almost getting Julian Nagelsmann, never, uh, Ten Hag, Brendan, Poch, Antonio Conte, um, Fonseca, Gattuso. They finally got their man, the one they always wanted, Nuno Espirito Santo. What do you expect for, from Tottenham, Kevin? I think a lot depends on the next few weeks and what they're able to do in the transfer market because if they do lose Kane, they're obviously going to have to try and bring players in. I think Christian Romero is a fantastic signing. Mm -hmm. He is somebody who in Serie A has done terrifically well. Uh, he, if you look at the number of interceptions he made, it was more than any other player in Serie A. I think he had the highest average number of interceptions in the Champions League for Atalanta as well. And when you bear in mind that they are quite an aggressive front foot side, puts a lot of pressure on their defenders and he actually did very, very well. So that feels like a genuine top draw signing from Spurs, but there's a lot to do. And I think even though the Son extension is encouraging to lose Kane and the assists and the goals you would lose would be massive. So that's the key for me. Can I ask whether or not you think that, uh, that Spurs have been uh, in need of a sporting director quite desperately over the last few years when you look at some of the way they've conducted their business? For example, Toby Alderweireld, there was this huge clamour. Uh, that he could either sign a new contract or someone could buy him at two years ago, 18 months ago, because he was like, so important. This defender was great. And they gave him a massive, great big contract in the middle of the documentary. Everyone was smiling and thought it was great business. You know, less than 18 months on, they've sold him for about three peanuts and a couple of M&Ms to Qatar. I think it was evident to most people, that, which is why no one went to sign him, that actually he'd gone a little bit. 18 months ago, which is why no one was prepared to, to part with serious cash for him. I mean, he's not exactly old, is he? I mean, 
I, I find that very, very strange that they allowed that to happen and maybe indicative of the fact that they need someone with a little bit more experience negotiating their contracts and doing their business. I think the Eric Lamella uh, transfer kind of sums that up. I think I'm right in saying that he's the last survivor of the players that they invested the Gareth Bale money in. And despite the fact he played 250 games for Tottenham and is a bit of a cult hero, I think he was largely underwhelming. And I think a lot of the players they've signed have been underwhelming on Daniel Levy's watch. So yeah, not, not just in terms of knowing when to trade players on, but actually bringing in decent players. I think they did need a, a conduit between Daniel Levy and, and the manager. It'd be interesting to see how Nuno approaches it. In pre-season, they've played a four at the back. I know that his best successes at Wolves were with three. Um, not sure he has the personnel to do that. Maybe maybe Romero gives them the opportunity to do that. We haven't yet seen him in a Tottenham shirt. I am looking forward uh, to Spurs against Manchester City on the first weekend of <laughs> Who does Harry season. Kane play for? He'll be, he'll be in the stands in no a half-and-half half shirt. <laughs> yeah, he'll be the only person that buys a half-and-half half scarf at that game. Uh, right, let's move on to the bottom of the table. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Relegate good times, come on. Uh, who are the contenders for the drop? Last year, we lost three teams that occupied uh, the bottom three for most of the season, Sheffield United, Fulham and West Bromwich Albion. And we lost them by some distance as well. I mean, they were stranded for a very long period of time, despite my best efforts to suggest that there could be a surprise yet. You never know. Uh, neither of them, none of them, all three of them failed to get anywhere near 30 bloody points. Uh, crazy. Um, Watford, Norwich, uh, two yo-yo clubs that have come up. Brentford back in the big time for the first time in 74 years. Uh, basically, I want you to give me a, a very quick synopsis of who you think will go down and why. Kevin, do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, and I'll start with Burnley, actually, because I wonder if this might be the season where everything catches up with them. Because 
There hasn't been extensive investment in the squad. I think Sean Dyche is quite annoyed about that, even though he, you know, tends to toe the party line and doesn't tend to kick off in public. I think he is known to be quite annoyed about the fact they haven't been able to bring more players in of quality. And there are players moving towards the end of their contracts. He's moving towards the end of his contract and just feels like a club that maybe is in limbo to some extent. Uh, And you look at the data, it's not quite as good as it was in terms of the quality of shots they're allowing the opposition to have. Uh, And I just wonder if they had a couple of key injuries, would they be in big trouble? I wonder about Watford as well. I know that's an obvious thing because they've just come up, but I wonder if they've got enough quality in attack, whether Joao Pedro can step up. Uh, What's going to go on with Will Hughes as well? Because I think he's got a year left on his deal and there are clubs interested in bringing him in. And much as I like the approach that Brentford have and I love the way they're set up in terms of their scouting, the data, I'm I'm not sure about Brentford. Crookie's shaking his head, but I wonder if there was an injury to Ivan Tony with that caused them a big problem so uh, i would lean towards watford brentford and burnley okay all right Uh, i'm going for burnley as well 17th last year 10th 15th 7th 16th promoted relegated in 19th and promoted that is the course of their last eight years uh under sean dyche um like you say the squad looks small not enough firepower if they lose mcneil i think they're in massive trouble uh, new owners, I'm still to be a little bit convinced by. Um, 12 million they spent on Nathan Collins, who I understand is a very good defender. Uh, and he's got a great character as well. He's he's probably a little bit older than his years, a little wiser than his years. He's come from Stoke. He's got a good grounding. He should be a good acquisition, but he's the only acquisition that they've spent any money on so far this summer at the time of recording. But it's a lovely club, good people. They work hard, but if you circle the drain long enough, eventually you go down there the plug hole. Um, we, yeah, we're missing Darren Lewis. Uh, obviously, Darren Lewis has refused to come back uh, to training uh, this week. Uh, he didn't even have his <laughs> COVID test. I think he's trying to get a move to the Athletic, but hasn't happened so far. Uh, if you're wondering where he is, he will be back next week. Um, Newcastle, I've, I don't fancy them. They haven't signed a single first-team player. Uh, they've lost Joe Willock. Maybe he ends up going there, but that's still under... Uh, under uh, or on a knife edge. Carroll's gone. Not that he did much anyway. Atsu, Lejeune, they've left. The goalkeepers have missed half pre-season because of COVID. Steve Bruce was struggling anyway. Um, look, I, I, I just think, again, you know, if you keep failing to invest in that team, uh, then eventually you will have a, a problem. Norwich spent a bit of money, um, not necessarily on huge amounts, but... I think Stuart Webber said if you can spend £120 million and still get relegated. So they'll always be a little bit careful about the way they approach it. And they do have this view. And I do think this causes a bit of an issue with Norwich. They have this view that they want to be a top 26 club. That's what they say. That's their mission statement, a top 26 club. That means that you're in the Premier League or in the top six positions in the Championship trying to get back into the Premier League. And I think that whole mentality sort of gives them almost a free pass in that actually they can be relegated, which is why they have been promoted at three ta- uh, four times since 2011 and relegated three times uh, in that period as well. I do like Billy Gilmore who's gone on loan there. Giannoulis at left back has come in. Gibson centre-back hasn't really done it in the Premier League as of yet. Um, Kev, they've signed Rashika, Milo Rashika from Bremen for £9.4 million. Is he a good signing? Oh, that's a big question. I like him a lot, Milot Rashica. I think when he's on form, he's a thrilling player to watch because he can score from range, takes a great free kick, he can take people on, he's very direct. But those games got 
fewer and further between as his time with Bremen stretched on. So what worries me about him is if Norwich are going to be in a relegation battle, is he going to show up? Mm. The talent is there. The technique is there. The challenge for Daniel Farker is to drag consistency out of him. So he's a risk. But Daniel Farkas talked about this. He said, look, we're in a position where almost every signing is a risk because we can't spend huge amounts of money. And of course, you've got the romantic situation of uh, Brian Gunn's son, Angus Gunn, going back as the number one. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of Angus Gunn, as you know. Uh, we'll skirt over that. I, I think Billy Gilmore uh, will probably be their player of the year. And I think he's a, a dark horse for a lot of people's fantasy football teams. But I think Norwich will go down. Um, they may well lose Todd Campwell. I think he's very high on Aston Villa's oh, list of assist the other night? Jack Grealish replacements. Uh, well, did you t- see his assist the other night? Campwell. Campwell. No. Oh, mate. I t- honestly, if you have not seen the the, the uh, Todd Campwell assist from, I think it's Tuesday night, what, Monday night, there's a brilliant video doing the rounds. I'll, s- I'll send it to you and I'll put it on my Twitter. It is absolutely out of this world. I, 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 we do a goal scoring chart on the Sunday session on Talk Sport. It is going in. Because of the assist, it is absolutely it's, it's all he, he drives the whole thing from halfway line and then an overhead kick uh, set up for, uh, for for the goal to be scored. Brilliant! You, you got to watch it anyway. So Norwich, you're going for like me. Who else are you going for? I agree with Newcastle. Um, I'm told their entire summer budget is 15 million pounds. Right, probably wouldn't even get Joe Willock for that. I think that will end up being a loan deal. I think they're too heavily reliant on Callum Wilson and Sam Maximan, two players you can't rely on to stay fit for the whole season. I think Steve Bruce pulled off a miracle to get them to 12th last year. Um, So I fear for them. I feared a little bit for Crystal Palace because I don't necessarily have faith in the Patrick Vieira appointment, but I think their dealings have have been really good. I like Mark Gurhey. Um, I like Joachim Anderson. I thought he did well in the Premier League last season. And Conor Gallagher as well. So I'm not as concerned for them as I was. Elise, do you like Elise? Was it Reading last year? Yeah, although I think he's going to miss the start of the season um, through injury, which is a bit of a shame for him. Eze's got Uh, an injury as well, obviously. He's going to be a big miss. He'll be out until next year, from what I'm told. So they've got some problems. Um, You've both made a compelling case for Burnley. I don't disagree with that. Southampton interests me. Obviously, I've got a vested interest in them. They ended the season so badly. Mm. If that continues into this season, you could almost have the same for Wolves as well. I think that is a big problem. Although I think Ralph Hasenhutl, we know about his preseason. He'll have them well drilled. He'll have them as pretty much the fittest squad uh, going into the start of the season. So actually, I think they might start quite well and therefore be okay. So I'm going to go Burnley, Norwich and Newcastle. Okay, you've known quite a few clubs there. That was good. I mean, you mentioned Southampton, which of course has been... uh... Uh, a, a subject of a lot of debate over Ralph Harsenhoodle's trousers. They've been uh, they've been hitting the headlines, and so they should. <laughs> How many points will you need to stay up? Do you think last year twenty nine would have kept you in the Premier League? Wow, uh, thirty five the year before, thirty five, thirty four, thirty five, thirty eight, thirty six, thirty four, thirty seven, thirty seven. That is the last ten seasons in the Premier League. If you got those points, then you would have stayed up so the threshold was a point lower than that which shows you basically the old 40 point uh, thing is an absolute myth in fact the average yeah. is, is 35 over the course of the season in fact you have if you'd had 35 in the last five years you would definitely have stayed up so you know there's some bad teams that come into the Premier League and end up having tough seasons and, and that, that seems to happen quite a lot a lot of the bottom three end up getting uh, separated uh, right just a quick word on a couple of things like uh, surprises and a, a few sort of VAR tidy, uh, tidies up over the course of uh, the next few minutes. I know this has been quite a long podcast, but it's the start of the season. 
can you, know, you can pause it and come back to it a little bit later on. It's okay. A crook is desperate to get off to. Uh, well, you're going to Wonderworld or something, aren't you? You've got Dodgems or something to do. Romsey Rapids taking the kids Romsey swimming Rapids. this afternoon. Uh, my well, my well, surprise well, package well, are Kevin's on, relegation tip. Calm, calm, calm yourself down. We're not going, you're going a bit Romsey Rapid there. Just, you know, just <laughs> let's, let's just chill out. Um, surprise packages. Can we find one out of the, the rest of the teams that we haven't possibly mentioned? I was going to suggest Brighton until I looked at their squad and the biggest acquisition seems to be Graham Potter's new beard. And what a beard yeah. as well. <laughs> they're, they're, they're still busy. Um, they're trying to bring in a striker by the name of Darwin Nunez, who did really well um, in Spain, got himself a move to Benfica. Hasn't quite worked out, but I think there's a 30 million euro price tag on him. I'm not sure they'll go quite that far, but I, I think they will make one or two uh, additions before the end of the transfer window. Then They do need a number nine. I think that's all they were lacking last season. Yeah. Obviously, losing Ben White is a blow. Actually, they've tied Webster down to a new contract. They've still got Lewis Dunk. Lamptey will be coming back. So I don't fear for them defensively. But they need they need a striker. If they, if they did get a number nine, I think they could well be a surprise package. Yeah, I think they'll be a surprise package. I think they'll, uh, Percy Tau scored a good goal in pre-season this week. Uh, I wonder whether or not he might have more of a contribution. Um, West Ham 16th in 1926 in 2021. Um, further sort of feather in David Moyes' cap. Uh, what, what do we expect from them next year? I mean, 26-point improvement suggests they probably overachieved, Kevin. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear David Moyes talk about trying to make training a bit more fun, a bit lighter, more sessions, but, you know, not quite so intense, and that seemed to work. Jesse Lingard losing him, obviously, is a bit of a problem. If they could get him back, that'd be huge. But then, as Crookie says, that might involve losing Declan Rice. So, uh, you know, the Declan Rice situation is very, very important for them because he's such a key player and such a consistent player as well. So I don't think they'll quite hit the heights in the same way that they did, but I think they'll be absolutely fine. I like the look of Villa. I know they're losing Jack Grealish. I know that's massive for them. I know he's their best player, but I, I like the business they've done. I think Leon Bailey's thrilling, thrilling player when he's on it and the attack-minded way in which Dean Smith operates, I think will suit him down to the ground. I think he's just had his best season, really, for Leverkusen. I feel like he's maturing off the pitch. He became a father relatively recently and he says that's calmed him down a bit and made him a bit more consistent and made him take things a bit more seriously. So uh, I think that's an exciting signing. And bringing in Buendia, I think, gives them more flair as well. So I think they've got a good spine with a good dash of flair. And even though they're losing Grealish, I think they're a really good side, Vela, and could do really well. No JT, of course. So, you know, defensively, that might be a bit of an issue for them. Although he doesn't play anymore, so maybe it won't. Um, Everton uh, have recruited Rafa Benitez. He's back on Merseyside. They've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin still up top. Um, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what business they end up doing, but... He's got to hit the ground running, really, hasn't he? I mean, he's very good at sort of, um, we've mentioned this on the podcast, I think, previously, that he's the, he's the kind of guy who won't be phased by the negativity that is being thrown his way because he's a former Liverpool manager. He will try and deal with it and he will, he will thrive anyway because he's just very good at what he does. We've probably missed out two or three clubs. And if we have, I'm sorry if we haven't got to your uh, team in particular. Uh, we will preview every single match over the course of the season. Uh, Thursdays and Sundays we record. So Thursday evenings you'll get the first podcast uh, of the week, which is basically looking ahead to all of the Premier League matches. On a Monday morning when you wake up, we will have all the reviews for all of the weekend's 
games. One other little note that I think we should probably talk about is VAR worked so well at Euro 2020, didn't work so well in the Premier League last season. Mike Riley's been speaking about this this week. It basically, offside is going to be allegedly more forgiving. You won't see live workings out uh, like you have done in the past where they're drawing the lines. They will use thicker lines for broadcast. If any of those lines overlap, then they will give the advantage to the attacker. So the end of the toe now, apparently, at the end of the day, that may well be the case. But there's got to be a demarcation point at some stage. If there's going to be a toenail over the thicker line, then that's going to be the same thing, isn't it? You know, just slightly further ahead. Um, there are 125 penalties last year in the Premier League, which is a record number. The average is about 90. I was complaining about this at the beginning of the season and in January as well, about all of the penalties that were being given so softly. That is now going to be eradicated. The, the thing that they're going to use to sort of try and temper the enthusiasm for pointing to the spot is, is contact, yes, but the context of the contact. So a bit like there was an incident involving Phil Foden, I don't know if you remember it, at the end of last season, where he got chopped but stayed on his feet. They didn't give a penalty. And Mike Riley's saying, actually, do you know what? We should have given a penalty for that. The Raheem Sterling against Denmark, maybe we wouldn't give. Certainly the one against uh, Scotland in the Euros, we wouldn't have given. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I, I think there does need to be some kind of break put on the penalties because that is too many. You're absolutely right. And it, it, it changes games all the way through. You know, you, you have maybe 89, 90 minutes of really tight action and lots of great play. And it comes down to a really soft penalty and nobody really wants to see that. But equally, I think what's important, Sam, is what you've just mentioned about that Foden incident. I think we need to change how we view penalties in general. That whole thing about, well, if I don't go down, I won't get a pen. We need to work really hard on getting rid of that. Uh, And if a player gets chopped, he should be encouraged to try and stay on his feet. And if he can't, you know, the the referee has to act. They they have to feel players that they have a safety net. I'm going to try and stay on my feet. I'm going to try and score. But I've, I've been buffeted by the player unfairly. I should get a pen for that. The offside thing, I, I, I welcome the attempt. I wait to see how it will work. Well, it sounds like they're going to go back to the old mantra of um, minimum interference for maximum benefit. And I'm all in favour of that. That is the mantra. That is what it should be. And I'm in favour of that. I I agree with Kevin. There were too many soft penalties. I think the the incident, the report I read actually... um, highlighted was Raheem Sterling in that semi-final against Denmark. That's the type of penalty, the type of contact that won't be given in the Premier League next season. And I'm in favour of that because I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. I thought it was very harsh on Denmark. We need to see less penalties. No question about that. And um, in terms of the offsides, I think the thicker line and and giving a bit more benefit the doubt for the striker. Again, I sound like we're going back 20 years here. Um, We're taking backward steps to be progressive. And I'm in favour of that. Yeah, bad news for Manchester United, though, isn't it? I mean, they're not going to give us any penalty. He's going to be a real... Very good. Nine substitutes being named, three allowed, two concussion substitutes uh, will be allowed as well. And Brentford will join the rest of the Premier League uh, in taking the knee. And they stopped taking it in February, saying it no, no longer had an impact. I think over the summer, we have learned that very much it does have an impact and uh, it will be continuing to happen, which is what we are all for. That is uh, round about it for this week. We haven't spoken to Lucy. And Lucy is our producer, a great producer, who uh, has, has basically made this show the success that it is. Uh, Lucy, are you there? Are you there? Hi, yeah. Uh, are you okay? Because we, we, we've missed you. We've missed Enthusiastic you. Enthusiastic as ever. 
for the news. You know why? Because I was mid yawn when when uh, Sam started talking to me. Well, then we're that interesting. <laughs> that bodes well. Halfway through. Yeah, great. Okay, so here we are heading towards the top of the charts. Um, Lucy, could I ask you what you're expecting from us this 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 season? You know, could we, have we got a rousing sort of like speech, a pre-season sort of Harry Kane-esque in the dressing room? Come on, lads. Don't talk too much. We, he's fouled on that one already. On day, then. Um, <laughs> don't make so many errors because it makes my life difficult. <laughs> and just try and just try, especially you and you and Crook, uh, Sam. Just try and keep it, you know, friendly. Stop bullying me. Oh, we are friendly. We love each other. Oh. We're going out. We're going out for a drink on Sunday night because it's his birthday, and I've 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 booked a hotel in London so that I can stay and have a drink with him. That's nice, isn't it? And do you know what he said to me? The first thing he said to me, Kevin, as soon as I booked it? Go on. Did you get a, did you get a twin, <laughs> twin room so I can stay with you? Frugal. As you well know, you'll need that. <laughs> Frugal as ever. <laughs> uh, right, Lucy, Lucy doesn't look too happy about that idea. She's thinking, God, I couldn't think of anything worse. Uh, right, uh, great to uh, see you all uh, once again. We're back uh, on Thursday of next week, Thursday afternoon with Darren Lewis, Alex Crook and I previewing all 10 of the opening games of the Premier League. Make sure you join uh, us for that. Uh, please rate and review the podcast uh, and it is available on the TalkSport app as well of all of your normal podcast providers. Um, we will continue to bring you uh, all of the action over the course of the season on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 